everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Today we ask the question, how did Jesus define the word Christian? Is a Christian someone who goes to church? Well, there's a saying, walking into a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into a barn makes you a cow. Is a Christian someone who believes in God? Well, the devil believes in God. Is a Christian someone who is baptized? Well, Stalin and Hitler were baptized. So we're going to ask the question on this show, how did Jesus define a follower of Christ, a Christian? Would you take out your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 8, and let's see if you're a Christian. Let's pray first. Father, we pray for those people watching this show who are not yet Christians, that they will become Christians, and you'll show them how in this program. Maybe there are people who think they are Christians and they are not, or people who wonder if they're Christians, but they really are. Lord, we ask you to define what it means to follow Christ now. In his name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 22. And they, Jesus and the disciples, came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. You know, I want you to notice something. This is the only place this happens. Normally, Jesus touches somebody once and they're healed. Here, Jesus touches this man twice. So here's the first lesson today. Sometimes, God heals in stages. Um, somebody asked me, is it okay? You know, James chapter 5 says, if you're sick, get the elders to anoint you and pray over you. Is it okay to get the anointing with oil more than once? And I said, yes. It never says you only can do it once. And here Jesus touched the man twice and he was healed. Sometimes God heals in stages. For instance, is it not true that every Christian has been healed spiritually by Jesus Christ? True. Is it not also true that we won't be 100% tremendously healed until we're in heaven. That's true too. Sometimes God heals in stages. Look at verse 26. And Jesus sent him, the healed man, to his home saying, do not even enter the village. At this point, Jesus in a sense is hiding his Messiahship. He doesn't want people to know he is the Messiah because they think the Messiah means that he's here to kill the Romans. So Jesus kind of hides who he is to accomplish the cross, which is the real mission of the Messiah. Verse 27. 
And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. Here's the next lesson. Most people don't know who Jesus is. This is still true. Part of my college career, I went to Grinnell College, very intellectual college, some real smart people at Grinnell College, and it's kind of a godless place, but very intellectual. So I'm sitting in religion class at Grinnell College, and this college girl puts up her hand and she, she says, Professor, why do people believe in Jesus? He died on the cross. So why do they believe he's dead? I put my hand up. Yeah, but he rose. She had never heard that. You know, don't assume that your family and friends really know who Jesus is. Uh, you know, a lot of your family and friends will say, well, I believe he's the son of God. Well, do you know what that means? Do you know that means Jesus is eternally God with the Father and the Holy Spirit? Most people don't get that. So don't assume people know who Jesus is. Verse 29, and Jesus asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Here's the next lesson. Jesus is the Christ, which means anointed one. Christ is not Jesus' last name. When you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus is the Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one, the one God promised in the Old Testament who would come and save the Jews. Verse 30, and Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. He doesn't want them to know he's the Messiah yet because they have the wrong conception. And he began to teach the disciples the real conception that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after that three days later to rise again. And he said this plainly and Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Here's the next lesson. Don't rebuke Jesus. <laughs> you know, I'm glad Oprah isn't on TV that much anymore. You can Google this and you'll find the clip where Oprah, who says she's a Christian, says there are many ways to heaven. There can't be just one way. God bless some woman in the audience who stood up and said, but Oprah, John 14, Jesus said he's the only way to heaven. And Oprah says, that can't be true. There can't be just one way. You know what she was doing? She was rebuking Jesus. And more recently, Oprah said this, quote, Jesus did not come to earth to found a religion. He came to earth to get us in touch with our own inner Christ consciousness. In other words, we're all the Christ, according to Oprah. That's rebuking Jesus. Verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Here's the next lesson. Satan usually uses people, like he's using Peter here. Normally we don't hear an audible voice from the pit saying, sin. Satan is much sneakier than that. He likes to use people close to us to influence us and push us in the wrong direction. My guess is there's probably many people watching this show, and the reason you got up, got messed up in drugs or in booze is because someone very close to you lured you into it. Maybe the reason you ended up having sex outside of marriage 
is because someone you were very drawn to lured you into it. Satan likes to use people. And I'll say this, if you've been used by the devil, apologize for that. Here's a young woman whose father sexually molested her when she was little. Her father goes to church every Sunday. And I said to her, did he ever apologize to you for doing that? And she said, never. I don't get that. I mean, I, I, well, I'll tell you what I thought of. Years and years ago, a Christian friend of mine said that he stopped watching Saturday Night Live TV show because of how raunchy and anti-religious it's become. I remember making fun of him and, and kind of mocking him. Oh, that's too much. Later, that day or that night, I got convicted. I had to see him. I said, I think the next day, please forgive me. I was wrong. You're right. To this day, I don't watch Saturday Night Live. <laughs> um, when you blow it and you let the devil use you, well, make sure you apologize for that. Verse 33, For you, Peter, are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Here's the next lesson. Peter's sin was his mindset. He looked at things from men's point of view. And Christian, our job as Christians is to fight to see things from God's point of view. That's why I think if you don't read your Bible, you're sinning. This is the book that's been given to us to get God's mindset. And if you rarely touch this book, you're sinning. I mean, for instance, let's say you watch TV five hours a day and you spend 10 minutes a day in this book. Well, whose mindset do you think you're going to get? My mom has died, but in her last years, she watched lots of TV and read lots of romance novels. And I would now and then say, Mom, don't you think you should be reading your Bible? Well, <clears throat> what gladdened my heart when my mom was in her last year, she said, you know, Tommy, I've read my Bible through two times the last two years. That blessed me because you know what? My mom was a German, Missouri Synod Lutheran. They're conservative. But she started thinking like Oprah when I'd go home. And I'm so glad she got back to the Bible. Make sure you're reading your scripture. Some lady converted and the lady at the office said, well, what's the difference now between you and me now that you're a Christian? And the woman said, one letter. You love the world, I love the word. Make sure you're reading your Bible regularly. Now we're going to see the verse where Jesus defines a Christian. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And Jesus called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you're going to be a Christian, here's the definition. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. Let me define each one of those. Num number one, to be a Christian, you must deny yourself. Now, what does that mean? Am I to deny what's best for me? That's not what it means. Jesus is what's best for you. Following Jesus in this life and the next is what's best for you. So what does he mean that you have to deny yourself? Well, I think he simply means you deny doing things your way. 
many years ago when I was in seminary, our professor told us the story, supposedly it's true, a very wealthy multimillionaire died. The memorial service is going to be held on his yacht. So all these very important, famous people come to s celebrate his life as they scatter ashes over the ocean. Frank Sinatra was there. And while they're scattering the dead man's ashes onto the ocean, Frank Sinatra's saying, I'll do it my way. <laughs> I remember hearing that and thinking, what a dumb way to leave this planet. No, no, no. Christian, the first definition of a Christian is, I'm going to do it God's way, not my way. Second definition of a Christian is, I take up my cross. Now, what does that mean? I think it simply means I'm willing to suffer for Christ. Martin Niemöller was a World War I hero in Germany. He was the commander of a U-boat. Famous all over Germany, he decides to become a Lutheran pastor. Gets a rich suburban parish in Berlin. But when Hitler comes to power, Martin Niemöller starts preaching against Hitler. They put him in prison. And this was scandalous because he was a war hero. But Hitler put him in prison, and the Nazis pressured him, saying, if you just stop preaching against Hitler, we'll let you go back to your posh church. Even his friends started pressuring him. A chaplain visits Niemöller in prison and says, Pastor Niemöller, why are you here? And Niemöller's response was, friend, why aren't you here? Well, he, believe it or not, he lived and be, was able to, be, to when, when Hitler was, was gone, he became a pastor again. But are you willing, like Niemöller, to suffer for Christ? I will tell you, I used to be a pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Today, well, you know, my congregation I served and I joined a different, more biblical branch of Lutheranism. Do you know, it, you've heard me say this, I'll say it again. The ELCA Lutheran Church pays for abortions with offering dollars. Are there any pastors in the ELCA standing up against that today? To my knowledge, nobody. The problem in World War II is that the German Lutheran Church didn't stand up to Hitler. And there's an old saying, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for everything. And the ELCA Lutheran Church is falling for everything. I'll give you a real, a real recent example. Now the ELCA has jumped on the bandwagon of promoting transgenderism. So there's a Lutheran pastor out east. She's a woman. She doesn't want to be a woman anymore. She wants you to call her Peter. So they had a renaming ceremony where this Lutheran pastor left being a woman and now she's a man. And who helped install that? The Bishop of New Jersey of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. That, that's, called hap, that's called hopping on the zeitgeist. The, the, the German Lutheran theologians in the 20th century talked about the zeitgeist, which means spirit of the age. And they taught in every age the church has to decide, are we going to follow the Holy Spirit or are we going to follow the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist? Well, the ELCA is going right along with homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion payments, and um, we are to follow the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of the age. 
The second definition of a Christian is you are willing to take up your cross and suffer and, and not have everybody like you. I had a, years ago I had, I, I wrote a letter to the editor of our liberal Star Tribune newspaper here in Minneapolis. I'm not sure what I wrote, it's been a long time, but it was either a, against abortion or homosexuality probably. Well, I come to church, the, and they printed it. I come to church the next Sunday and one of our older ushers is very upset with me. Pastor Brock, what do people come and read that and they, they bomb Hope Lutheran Church? And I, I didn't say this, but maybe I should have. I'd rather be part of a Lutheran church that stands for something and gets bombed than of a church that stands for nothing and survives till the second coming. The second definition of a Christian is you're willing to be nailed. You take up your cross for Christ. And then the third definition, a Christian denies himself, takes up his cross, and the third definition of a Christian, you follow, a true Christian follows. You don't lead, you follow. I have a certain relative that I probably pray for more than any other person on the planet. And she says she's a Christian, used to go to a good Christian church, and has now joined a very liberal denomination. And she says to me, well, I could become a Unitarian. And I said to her, Unitarians, they don't believe Jesus is God. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. They don't believe he made atonement for our sins. Why would you be? Well, you know, I wouldn't have to believe everything they say, but I do, I do like their religion. Well, you know why I think she likes Unitarianism? In Unitarianism, you get to invent your own God. God is whoever you think he, she, it is. And in Unitarianism, you, you don't follow God. God follows you in Unitarianism. No, no, no. Um, a, a true Christian, number one, denies himself. Number two, takes up his cross. That means you're willing to suffer for Christ. And number three, you don't lead God. You follow God. Verse 35. For whoever would save his life, like Peter's trying to get Jesus to do here, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? When I hear that verse, <clears throat> I think of Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey, uh, Ted Turner, these super rich people. And what does it matter if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? And I'll share this again. My mom and dad knew Warren Buffett when he was young. They went to his wedding. And then I heard in recent years, Warren Buffett is using his billions to send abortion suction machines around the world to facilitate abortion. So I prayed about it and I wrote him a letter. Dear Mr. Buffett, you don't know me, but maybe you remember Tom and Ruth Brock at Omaha University. And, and I just beg you, don't use your money to spread abortion. Do you want to stand before God on Judgment Day with that as your legacy? You know, I, I didn't hear back from him, but the, the question is, what does a profit to gain the world and lose your soul? Two men were dying in the hospital. The nurse walks in the room. One man is very agitated. Sir, is something wrong? Are you in pain? 
And he said, yes, something is wrong. He's going to his treasure. I'm leaving mine. Next verse, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. One last point. Notice Jesus, what Jesus says in verse 38. Here's the last point. Don't be ashamed of Jesus or his words. Now you might want to ask, why does he add, or his words? Well, maybe because this is going on. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, I love Jesus. And then you've got to kind of stop them. When you know that your Jesus preaches against divorce and remarriage, he preaches against fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. Jesus said he's the only way to heaven. Jesus said if you reject him, you go to hell. Well, I don't believe any of that, but I love Jesus. Well, wait a minute. If you love Jesus, you love his words. I remember years ago now when Barack Obama was running for president for the first time, he was speaking to a group in the South, and he said, I believe I have eternal life because I believe Jesus died for my sins. So far, so good. Next sentence. But I also believe that moral Jews, moral Muslims will be in heaven too. My mother did not have my Christian religion, but I'm sure she's in heaven because she was such a kind person. That is a denial of Christ's words who said, I'm the only way to heaven, John 14, 6. If you are ashamed of me or of my words, said Jesus, I will be ashamed of you. So last question here is, are you ashamed of Jesus? Hot off the press, latest edition of persecution.org. Two teenage sisters in Laos converted to Christ, age 16 and 17. The girls started attending their local church. The girls' conversion was met with opposition by their parents. One morning, some of the sisters' relatives dragged them out of the worship service and beat them publicly. The girls were beaten and bound for several days. Four days later, they were, uh, they were rescued and escaped. There's somebody who's willing to suffer for Christ. One more. Fulani militants attacked a group of Christians in Nigeria. The Christians were gathered to sing Christmas carols when gunmen struck. Ten who were injured, four were killed. A similar attack took place on Christmas Eve. Fulani militants stormed uh, the Gaska village. Five women were killed. Several homes were destroyed. There have been more than 100 Fulani-led attacks on Christian villages, which left more than 200 Christians dead. A true Christian, number one, you deny yourself. That's not, you're denying what's best for you. You're denying doing things your way. Number two, you take up your cross. You're saying, I'm willing to follow Christ and suffer. And then number three, you follow Christ. You don't lead him, you follow him. That is Jesus' definition of a Christian. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, what countries today still persecute Christians the most? I asked that question of an expert in the area. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is a group that works for the persecuted church. Uh, this thing is called International Christian Concern. Both are fine groups. And he said quickly, Muslim lands persecute Christians the most. 
So we're talking Iraq, Iran, Pak Pakistan, parts of Africa, Saudi Arabia, etc. Boy, it's really hard to imagine those that many countries that are just being persecuted. It, it, and they just and that, they will not allow the gospel to be preached. Okay. So when Jesus called Peter Satan, was Peter demon possessed at that point? Well, I don't think I don't think he meant that, but he meant that Satan is using you now, Peter. I think that's what he meant. Oh, and okay. Satan can use Christians, believe it or not, if Christians aren't well, careful. You just took my next <laughs> question. I was <laughs> going to say to you, can a Christian actually be demon-possessed? Well, that's a hard one. I, we had an expert on this show about a year ago, and I, I think the answer is you, a Christian can be oppressed, and maybe you do have to have something cast out of you, but you can't be possessed. A Christian is possessed by the Holy Spirit, um, but according to what I've taught, been taught, a Christian can have stuff that they need to be cast away from them, from the devil. Yeah. Yeah, but we know of Christians, though, that have given up that, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they've changed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. If you feel that Satan has used you, is there something we should do? You know, Jackie, I can't imagine being a Christian man having molested your little girl and never said, I'm sorry for that. And Jackie, I think every Christian, if, if we say a wrong word, we do a bad thing, we got to pray, God, do I need to go back to that person and apologize? I mean, I, I said something the other night, and I, you know how so, sometimes you can just see a little hurt in someone's eyes? You know, just, and I, and I had to pray, and, and honestly, I don't think I need to do anything on this one. I think it's more on me than them. But um, when you know you've unnecessarily hurt someone, it's always good to apologize. Okay. Yeah. Tom, what is the biblical teaching for people? What does it tell us to do if we are sick? Where if we're sick, yeah. James chapter 5. Okay. If anyone is sick, call for the elders, let them anoint you with oil, and they'll pray for you. So I, when I'm sick, I, get the, I go to the elders and say, would you please anoint me? And they put a little oil on your forehead, and then they pray. So... One last question, because we've only got about a minute left, okay. a little less, actually. If Jesus is the Son of God, why do you teach that he is God? It, he's both. He's the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. That means the Father's always existed, but if the Father's always existed, doesn't there have to be a Son for him always to be the Father, too? <laughs> so God the Father's eternal, but God the Son is eternal. He, he is the Son of God. He, he's begotten by God, but he's also God himself, John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Well, thanks so much for being with us this week. We hope that this program has enlightened you and answered some of your questions. And we pray that God would be with you, granting you his richest blessings until we're all together again next time. God bless and see you on the pastor study in the near future. Thank you for watching the pastor study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, 
or mail a check to the pastor's study. P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week. <laughs>